This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport as we look back on the whole week of action and look ahead to a huge weekend in the Premier League with Darren Lewis from the Mirror and TalkSport transfer guru Alex Crook. This is me, Sam Matterface, reflecting on two call in Bucharest, but a Chelsea going to get the Blues again as Manchester United come to town. Will magnificent Manchester City extend their winning run against West Ham? Surely 20 is plenty. The Seagulls are in a flap after a crime against football. Can they baggies a win against West Brom? Coming up, why you wouldn't want to be married to Jose Mourinho, the worst slogan that you wouldn't put on a tin, and why are Premier League players only allowed to talk about their favourite colours? All that and more on the podcast that's got a better relationship with Sadio Mane than Mo Salah, probably. The Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Some massive games this weekend. Chelsea against Manchester United, Manchester City against West Ham and Leicester against Arsenal. We've got Manchester City against West Ham as the champions look to extend, uh, I say champions, champions elect, uh, extend their winning run to 20 games unbeaten. Uh, Leicester City Arsenal is quite an intriguing encounter midday on Sunday. Uh, But Chelsea against Manchester United will probably hog all the headlines, gentlemen. Um, Look, Thomas Tuchel unbeaten in eight. He's made them hard to beat, turning wins out, but Manchester United, um, their record at, at Stamford Bridge is particularly good, isn't it, Crookie? Yes, it is. Um, unlike their home record against Chelsea, actually, but I've got Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's record against the big six in the Premier League this season. Uh, <laughs> one goal scored, that was in a 6-1 defeat against Tottenham, nil-nil with Chelsea, um, lost to Arsenal, drew at the Emirates, uh, drew at home to Manchester City, couple of draws, with Liverpool and uh, yeah, so that doesn't make great readings. It one goal scored against the big six. Um, and that is something that really has been their Achilles heel. If, if you look at where they are in the title, nearest challenges to Manchester City, if you can call such a big gap nearer challenges, they've taken some points and scored some goals in those games. They would be right up there. And what we know about Thomas Tuchel is that Chelsea are much more efficient now, much more defensively disciplined as we saw 
against Atleti in the Champions League in midweek. I think this could be a difficult game for United. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't want to say it's got nil-nil written all over it, Darren, but uh, Thomas Tuchel has seen his team concede just twice since he, he sat in the dugout. That that means it's going to be a very difficult game for Manchester United to try and extend their fabulous unbeaten run away from home, which in the league at the moment is 19 away games without defeat. Mm. Yeah, it's a curious record, isn't it? Given that their form at home is so inconsistent, and and Crook's right on this season against the big six, their record has been poor. The problem is that you set that against their record against Chelsea in the last year or so. They've beaten Chelsea in the Premier League last February, two uh, nil, I think it was. They beat them in the League Cup the year before in the October, uh, and then they beat them that same year in the FA Cup as well. And that's their last three trips to London, to Stamford Bridge. So I don't think that hoodoo exists over them in relation to Chelsea. It certainly doesn't exist over in terms of their away form. But Crook is right. It does exist in relation to their form this season against the top six. It's a question of which one you trust more. Do you trust that record, that recent record against Chelsea? Or do you trust that run of games against teams in the top six this season. And and who do you trust more in terms of Chelsea's record over the course of the last few weeks under two, Thomas Tuchel? Do you look at the results that he's picked up and, and think, well, they're doing very well, they're in the right place, um, but then again, they've only beaten teams you'd expect them to be? Or do you look at their performance against a, a big opponent in midweek against Atleti as an indicator of what to expect in the game at the weekend? I think we know what to expect. Um, they're like Ron Seal, aren't they? You know, exactly. They do exactly what it says on the tin under, under Thomas Tuchel. They don't give out many chances. They're pretty... The wood varnishes are available. What, 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 <laughs> t- what tin is it? What is the Chelsea slogan? Then? What, they do well, what they, they say on the tin. What's the tin? They do what they say on the tin. The, the, the tin says that Thomas Tuchel is uh, tactically very astute manager. It's a big tin. manager whose team don't concede <laughs> too many goals. They're efficient at the other end. <laughs> if this comes down to a battle of the men in the dugout, Put your CVs on the table. You fancy Thomas Tuchel, don't you? Right, yeah. Okay, it's a snappy slogan. I don't think it's going to catch on quite as well as Ron Silf, but yeah, I mean, you know, all ideas are good ideas. Um, yeah, I, I mean, they, they haven't been particularly entertaining, have they? I think that's what you're trying to say, but they've been quite efficient. So, well, I, look, I, I do think that going forward is a problem for Chelsea. They don't score too many goals, not many from open play. Olivier Giroud scored a terrific goal in midweek. Obviously, there was a big VAR discussion about it before it was awarded. He was onside, so well done to him for reacting in the way he did. But they, they don't look as if they've got a load of firepower, Darren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quality players, but not a lot of goals so far this season. But I was going to say that if you look at Manchester City, they're spectacular now. But as they started to get the wheels of this juggernaut turning, they weren't that spectacular at all. They were winning goals by uh, winning games by a single goal, maybe two. They were very, very unspectacular in relation to their form last season. But that run of games, run of wins, has enabled them to get the confidence to find that spectacular form again. And I think that might well be the case in in relation to Chelsea. I always say on this pod, you don't get extra marks for artistic impression. So all you need to do, all he needs to do is win. Get them back within range for a top four place and pull off big wins against the likes of Manchester United. And I think the wins that they've had so far have maybe just sent that confidence back through the team 
And I think the belief is there again now. Uh, did he get it right in the way that he dealt with Callum Hudson-Odoi then in the end? Did it, did it sort of end up inspiring Chelsea to a better performance in midweek? Was it, a, was it one of those things where he used Callum Hudson-Odoi a bit like, you know, um, Sir Alex Ferguson used to use Wayne Rooney, picked on him so that everybody else got the message or, or was it just ranked bad management and actually it might come back to haunt him? I don't have a problem with it. I think there's too many players at all levels who underperform, don't live up to their potential, don't put a shift in for the team. I think that certainly applies to Callum Hudson-Odoi when you look over the course of his career. It didn't on Saturday, did it? I mean, that was the thing. Jamie Carragher pulled out loads of examples on Monday Night Football saying, well, what do you expect him to do here? We had uh, Andy Townsend on Drive the other day saying he'd done the similar thing for the international broadcasters, pulled apart Callum Hudson-Odoi's performance and said, what else would you have liked him to do? I'd imagine it's not just a frustration that came out because of that performance. Obviously, Thomas Tuchel it, it has the privilege of seeing him in training day yeah. in, day out. We, we don't see that. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with managers calling out players if they believe that player is strong enough to deal with that criticism. And there is an art form to it. You, you, you would treat someone like Eric Cantona uh, differently to how you might treat Roy Keane, for example, uh, back when Fergie was manager. So he, he will be aware of Hudson-Odoi's personality. I don't think he would have done that if he didn't think he was big enough to take it. And it, it does make a statement to the rest of the Chelsea team. If I think you're underperforming, I will call you out. Gundogan has it and has scored a wonderful goal for Manchester City. It's 3-0. All the good results are consequent from something. We have to be so precise, so correct, so brilliant. It finished Arsenal 0, Manchester City 1, Raheem Sterling with the only goal of the game. We are very happy, not just happy about uh, the results, even more happy about the way we are playing at the moment. Obviously we will try to, to continue like that. And that's a brilliant goal from Jesse Lingard and West Ham double their lead. We're only done half a job. I think, you know, if we continue this way, we'll be close. And he's been turned in by Socek. His second, West Ham second. People saying, hey, do you think you can make the Champions League? Do you think you can make Europa League? Where, where are you going to finish? But it sounds a lot better talking that way and, and people asking you those questions than it does when you're at the bottom. Manchester City against West Ham United kicks off at 12.30 on Saturday. Um, I did Manchester City in midweek against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And, and look, they strolled through that game mainly because Borussia Mönchengladbach had this great idea. What we'll do is, is that we'll keep playing out from the back, even though City are applying the highest of high presses and we keep giving the ball away. And then we'll just see how many times we can give the ball away before we eventually concede a goal. Funnily enough, it didn't take that long. Uh, and once they got in front Manchester City, there was no way they were going to relinquish it. They're coming up against a West Ham side who statistically, in terms of putting results on the board, are in good form didn't play particularly well in their most recent game against Spurs. No, I covered that game for, for TalkSport International and um, they rode their luck in the second half. T- Tottenham played well, but West Ham invited pressure. But I suppose the one positive thing from that second half is they still won the game. I'm not sure they'd have done that in previous seasons. So clearly there's a lot of character and, and self-belief. Declan Rice spoke excellently with Laura Woods and Ali McCoyst on Monday about... Yeah. This is the best West Ham squad that he's been a part of, that the camaraderie, the band of brothers that, that David Moyes has put together. And, and you can see that. I think this will be a game too far. And, and that's no disrespect to West Ham. That's just based on the machine that is Manchester City at the moment. They are swatting teams off at will. They're still not conceding goals. They don't give many chances away. 
<laughs> I know you asked Stuart Pearce in commentary last night, are you coming up with a cunning plan? I don't know what a cunning plan is against Manchester City at the moment. I, I don't know any manager in the world who could stop Manchester City right now. Well, one of the things is that they don't give you chances. Carlo Ancelotti said that to me last week. They, they, they don't give you chances anymore. They restrict you. And West Ham haven't got the most prolific strike force. They are the second most successful team since the turn of the year, claiming 22 uh, points from the possible 27. But they're taking on by far and away, the best team in the league right now and a team that are destined to be champions. Darren, is there a way to stop uh, a fully fit as well? I think that's worth pointing out. A fully fit Manchester City who did rest Kevin De Bruyne in that game in midweek. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at the the lineup of the side that were held at the London Stadium earlier this season. I mean, it was a really good side and everyone expected West Ham to get smashed up in that game too and they held them to a one-all draw. And this season has just really surprised us in any number of ways. On the face of it, given the way that they're playing, I agree with you both. It should be City all day long. But there is just that X factor, isn't there? People keep underestimating West Ham and they keep confounding them. And I just wonder if they might be able to get something out of this game, even if it's just a point. Keep it really, really tight all the way through or maybe from a set piece, nick something. I I just can't help feeling that maybe it might be something that they can nick from this. Well, they're 19 games uh, without dropping anything. They've won 19 in a row. The idea of of dropping points at home would seem fanciful. They're actually going for a world record, which is 24 consecutive wins by a club team set by Curitiba in uh, Brazil 10 years ago. Last year, Bayern Munich got to 23, about four seasons, five seasons ago, Real Madrid got to 22. Um, can they get to 24? If they do, they're gonna, they've got to do it by getting uh, beating all the teams up until they play Fulham, which is when they can equal the record at the end of next month. They might well do it, but there'll be an asterisk, won't there? Because uh, there's no fans in ground, so it makes it easier to win games uh, away Said from Manchester home. United fan Alex Crook. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they've got every chance. Um, I think there is such a belief in that team at the moment. And I think it, it sounds ridiculous, but they're almost doing it under the radar still. Mm. We, we've, we've waxed lyrical about Manchester City for a number of seasons now, and openly discuss the possibility of them winning quadruples and trebles. But until Danny Mills suggested that could happen on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, I'm not sure anybody have really talked about the quadruple. You know, they've won the Premier League already. They're going to win the the Carabao Cup. I'd be amazed if if Tottenham, even with Jose Mourinho, can can cause an upset there. The, The Champions League has been kryptonite for Pep, but they should at least be into the next round of that competition. They've got a good draw in the FA Cup. I'd say it's more likely than not that Manchester City win all four trophies this season. I, nobody's um, really talking about it. I, I bought it up last Wednesday night at Goodison Park with Riyad Mahrez and I don't think I've ever been shot down quicker. Um, immediately, he said, sorry? No, uh, no, we were not thinking about that. It's just one game at a time. Obviously, he's going to say that. But immediately afterwards, the very friendly and very helpful Manchester City press staff were quick to come over and say, oh, is that going to be the narrative now? Like, as if to say, is that what you're going to... Because they don't... I don't think they want it to start becoming a discussion point because I think ultimately previous to 
where we are now, it has been a discussion point. Hasn't it? In previous seasons, it has been a discussion point. And maybe that has, has weighed and put a little bit of pressure on them. But even speaking to Stuart Pearce last, uh, in the last couple of days, who was doing the commentary with us on Talk Sport on the City game, he was saying, they've kind of gone under the radar in the Premier League until you got to January. Yeah. Well, if, if Manchester City don't want this to become the narrative and they don't want us to apply that pressure, I'm going to talk about it on every podcast that we do. 100%. <laughs> I disagree about them being under the radar. I think people started to recognise just how well they were doing. And I think people in particular, how well they were doing without Aguero uh, when they were even sort of seven, eight games. Yeah. I mean, obviously there has been some people have been saying all season that they're going to win the league. Yeah. 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 I can't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember but, who that is. <laughs> it wasn't the boldest shout in the world, was it? Let's, let's be honest. No, and, and I, I don't have any regrets about the, the Liverpool thing. I still think had Liverpool season not gone the way it did in terms of injuries, I still think Liverpool would have been strong very much there as well. Just say about... Luce, um, have you got a tiny violin that we could play for Darren at this moment in time? <laughs> I just want to say two things in relation to could they... Uh, extend this run to 24 after this West Ham game their next three games are at home so they've got a great chance Wolves Man U and Southampton so that and, and each of those sides Southampton's run of conceding goals I think they've scored conceded 24 goals in their last however many games that they've been beaten in so um, I definitely think that they've got a chance Manchester City in terms of winning the Champions League all the other competitions I think Weirdly enough, given their record, there'll be a little bit of a shrug. But if they can take this form into the Champions League, that's what they brought Pep to the club for. And if he can turn that into success in the, in the elite European competition, then they'll be absolutely over the moon. Leicester against Arsenal is midday on Sunday. Big game for both these two teams. A bigger game maybe even for, for Leicester City because it's sort of a measure of uh, whether or not they can keep Arsenal at bay and, and, and cement their place in that top three. Um, Arsenal have won just one of their last five league matches. I think I said it on the previous podcast this week. I think they're dreadful. Um, I don't think they're a very good team at all. And I, I don't buy into this narrative that they've significantly improved, mainly because um, I look at their position in the table and we're, what, you know, 24, 25 games in now, and they're still 10th. So if they've made a significant, they're 11th. So if they've made a significant improvement, why are they in the bottom half of the, Arsenal in the bottom half of the table, Darren? I mean, that, that cannot be an acceptable position. I don't understand how anyone can say, oh, yeah, but they're playing okay. They're 25 points off the top. They're 11 points off the top four. I totally agree with all of that. Wouldn't disagree at all. I think as far as Arsenal are concerned, they're in a period of transition, which is going to end with the club focusing on the younger players in the squad rather than the senior players because too many of them have let them down. I, I think in the summer they've got some... A lot of work to do, getting rid of players, some tough choices to make as well, because this has been a nightmare season. When you consider how poor Spurs have been, they're big rivals, of course, uh, in North London, and Arsenal have been even worse. It gives you a measure of just how far they've fallen. And to correct that, they've got to rely on the younger players to give them a new energy and a new focus and get some of the older players out. They've made the same mistakes, haven't they? they? They've made exactly the same mistake they made with Mesut Ozil, with Aubameyang and with Willian. Two senior players on massive money, particularly Willian. <laughs> it's becoming obvious now why Chelsea weren't willing to bow to his contract demands because it looks like he's going through semi-retirement. 
in North London. I mean, he's, he's contributed absolutely nothing other than stop adding huge amounts to the wage bill. And Aubameyang, we thought he turned a corner with that hat-trick against Leeds. His next two performances were dreadful. And you have to wonder now, his contract saga seemed to drag on and on and on after the FA Cup final. But ultimately, the only reason that he signed a new contract was because nobody else was willing to pay him the money that Arsenal are. You know, when they put themselves into such a, a black hole with Mesut Ozil, they are such a badly run club. And that was never the case, was it? Particularly when David Dean was there, that Arsenal were one of the best run clubs in the country. Now they're one of the worst. Yeah, but that's been a very long time uh, since David Dean was in charge. I mean, I mean, even going back a couple of a couple of years, you you had Ivan Gazidis, who everybody mocked, but you know, seemingly in comparison to what's going on at the moment, it looks pr- a pretty well run ship. Eleventh um, in the in the in the division is is not an acceptable position. Uh, for anybody uh, who have spent the money that Arsenal have and the club of the stature of Arsenal. I mean, they're, they're below a newly promoted team in Leeds. So any argument that they they are uh, uh, performing well, I think is is a spurious one, personally. Um, so someone suggested that they, they play well against Manchester City. I, I don't think they did. I think basically yeah. Manchester City kept them at arm's length and knew for a fact that they could, they, they, if, they, if they needed to, they could actually move into second gear. I mean, Arsenal offered very little in that match, but they offer very little in a lot of matches. To to be quite frank, really, I mean, their, their plus goal difference is five. That that's not that's not what you expect from a from a top team. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, listen, at the moment, a, a lot of Arsenal fans can see that um, they're in a period of transition, but. In the transfer market, their dealings have been appalling. They've lost millions and millions but Darren, of pounds. But Darren, there's a transition period and a lot of clubs go through transition periods. Is it acceptable to be in this current situation and perform so badly, so consistently badly during that transition period? Do you not have to maintain a certain standard even if you, even if you are going through a transition? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, as I said before, I don't disagree with anything that you've said. What I'm doing is maybe pointing to what some people might see as positives during this period, because that's all you can look for. At the moment, the team are performing so poorly. They're so leaky in terms of their defence. They're so incapable of making the most of their attacking options. They're so reliant on either Aubameyang's goals or the energy of the younger players that it's no surprise that they are where they are and it I think going into next season they've, they've, they're able to give Arteta some some leeway now because they can see what he's trying to do but if next season there is still this poor run of form maybe sort of 15 games into next season I think then they have to look at it It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Another blockbusting game day across the Talk Sport network on Talk Sport and Talk Sport 2. Kundawan has it and has scored a wonderful goal for Manchester City. All the good results are consequent from something. We have to be so precise, so correct, so brilliant. And that's a brilliant goal from Jesse Lingard and West Ham double their lead. We've only done half a job. I think, you know, if we continue this way, we'll, we'll be close. It's another goal for the new boy, Rafina, and leads are 3-0. Ollie Watkins inside two minutes. Aston Villa off to a dream start. Each game as it comes, that's all we can do and it's all we want to do. Newcastle now just three points above Fulham. They've got one eye on that drop zone now. It's a stunning solo goal from Pedro Neto. And Wolves have turned things around at St Mary's. Leicester City are powering on up the Premier League and may yet have a title tilt themselves. Let's focus on our own strengths, being aggressive, not being passive in the game and using our talent. Turned in by Bakayo Saka and that is an outstanding Arsenal goal. The only place you can hear all the action. Newcastle against Wolves is 8 o'clock on TalkSport 2 on Saturday. Uh, Sunday, Crystal Palace against Fulham is 12 o'clock. Leeds against Aston Villa is on TalkSport at 5.30 on Saturday evening. And Aston Villa have had a very good season up until a point, but they've tailed off a little bit. Three wins in their last 11 matches. What's it down to, Crook? Uh, lack of squad depth. Um, the fact that Dean Smith has made fewer alterations to his starting 11 than any Premier League manager two key absentees at the weekend in Jack Grealish and, and Matty Cash as well, I think in some ways was just as big a miss because he's had a fantastic uh, maiden season in the Premier League. On the subject of Jack Grealish, can I ask you to, are we in danger of, of football taking itself a little bit too seriously? The fact that Aston Villa players have now been banned from playing fantasy Premier League and, and in fact that other Premier League players are also going to be warned about taking part in the competition because all the Villa players seemingly dropped the injured Grealish from their team last week and, and let the cat out of the bag. It's a it's a game at the end of the day, and especially in 2021, surely there are bigger problems. Well, is it? Sorry, was, there's no cash prize. Is there? was injured. There's no cash prize for it, is there? there? There's no cash prize. Right, no, okay. no Matty cash prize. So let's 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 be honest. It's not like it's a fraud or it's inside information or whatever. It's just a little bit of fun. Exactly, but, and we but, need but that. If I now remember rightly, uh, didn't the Aston Villa hasn't the Aston Villa sort of uh, press office banned anybody from talking about Jack Grealish? Isn't the words <laughs> Jack and Grealish banned uh, for any Very other true. player that isn't Jack Grealish? Is that right? Very true. Right. We we should point out as well, by the way, that fantasy football. This is not the first time that fantasy football has been in the spotlight this season because right. um, the way it used to work um, as broadcasters was that we used to get the um, team sheets. 15 minutes before they were officially 
unveiled an this hour and true. fifteen minutes before kickoff. At which at which stage the fantasy Premier League game was still open for you to make changes. It used to close an hour ah. um, before kickoff. It now closes an hour and a half. So were you manipulating was, that? Were you, were you? There was a suspicion among the Premier League that maybe people who had access to those team sheets were using it for inside knowledge. But we repeat, <laughs> there is no cash prize. Okay, chill out for goodness' sake. Uh, do you play fantasy Premier League, Darren? Because it is a big part of Crook and, our, and my life. It's, it is it is what probably keeps us going on a on a week to week basis. We don't play Fortnite. We don't play FIFA very much anymore. We are fantasy Premier League addicts. <laughs> when you when you know you, that's when you know you're, you're old enough for the jab. When I'm, become... I'm top of the table, just to let everybody know. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I absolutely do understand why all clubs actually should be banned from playing fantasy football. I'll give over. Why? Behave, why? Lewis. What reason? You are the fun what? killer, oh, my daughter God. would say. No, no, no. Listen, listen. If people are monitoring, if you're playing it, then you should be in a, a closed group. You should be in a, a private group that the public can't access. Why? Because, as Dean Smith says, he wanted to keep it quiet that Grealish wasn't going to play and people had transferred him out of their teams once they knew Grealish wouldn't be playing. And as a result, the news was able to leak out. Why should it be kept quiet anyway? So that it doesn't give an advantage to the other team. The other team doesn't change their team accordingly and decide that they're going to make... Whereas before they would have been making provision to cope with Jack Grealish, they find out ahead of time that he's not going to play and they can adapt their team accordingly. They're going to find out eventually anyway. It might well be the case, but you don't want to help them along by with anything, any mechanism that might give them the chance to find out ahead of time. Do you very not, out of do character you not for, very out of character for Dean Smith I, to win. I, I, I honestly don't think that it makes that much difference, no. I don't think it makes that much difference. And also, you know, I go back to looking at like rugby and the way they name their teams three days in advance. Bielsa, who just randomly will just say to, I'll tell you what the team is now if you want. Because, you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You still got to, you still got to perform on the day. So I I don't know. Maybe maybe it's more significant because it's Jack Grealish and he's such a big player for for Aston Villa. But in terms of the idea... Don't, don't, don't Sorry, I said Jack Grealish. Sorry. Don't say it. Sorry. Uh, um, Just say JG or maybe make up a code name for him. uh, The Calf. The Calf. Because the Calf is such an influential figure, uh, figure, um, you know, people would adapt the tactics. I suppose that's the case. But the idea of now saying, I mean, one of the great things, because you know you're not allowed to ask Premier League players any questions of any value anymore, right? They basically say to you, you can only basically ask what they did when they were five or something. There's so much constriction. It's it's, It's honestly... Sometimes when you're doing an interview, uh, you have a you have to submit your questions in advance, and and, and they all have to be vetted and verified by the, the 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 press office in the build up to it. And if you don't say, if you say something slightly off the script, then you get uh, hauled over the coals um, because no newsworthy content can come out of any of the official interviews that that are arranged by the Premier League for some reason. Because apparently, fo- Premier League footballers are so stupid that they can't be trusted to answer any questions that don't involve, how did you get into football? What was your first memory of football? What did you, uh, what, what, what was it that caused you to fall in love with the game? Unless you are something like that, 
All right, or what you or whether you've captained yourself in Premier Fantasy Premier League, literally, you you know the the interview is cut now. When I interviewed Emmy Martinez and we had that uh, furore about whether or not we were allowed to keep the bit in about him comparing Grealish to Messi, uh, the calf, the calf. Sorry, we actually spoke about Fantasy Premier League at the end of it, and he promised oh, no. me a clean sheet for my team. I mean, oh. would Dean Smith be happy about that? No, I don't know. He's not going to. Darren be. Lewis That's be it. happy with that? You're going to get in trouble now. You're going to be sanctioned by the Premier League for t- giving that information away. It, he kept a, he kept a clean sheet as well. The only problem was I left him on the bench and picked Carl Darlow. <laughs> It is ludicrous. It really is. The, the, the yeah, Premier League footballers are not stupid. They can. A lot of them can speak multiple languages. They can under, They understand what they can and can't say. Okay, and if they really did say something that was completely stupid, I had a Premier League footballer last year who did say something that was particularly, you know, it, it inflammatory. Was, it was infl- it was infl- inflammatory in that he just phrased. He was talking about how good he was and and that he felt he could achieve a certain level and it sounded as if he was trying to engineer a move. You know, he wasn't, he didn't mean that. It was just a, a turn of phrase that was wrong. I was asked to take it out and I did as a result of that, you know, because I didn't want to make a big headline. We can work together without being told that the only questions you can ask is, what was your favourite colour when you were a boy? <laughs> Do you know, just to add to that, I mean, it, on a serious note, generally... Any good journalist is all about building relationships with the subject of their interviews, whether they're footballers, whether they're celebrities, whether they're people in the public eye. Yeah. You always want to try and build up a relationship. So actually you're trying to make the subject of your interview look good. You are not trying A, to trip them up or B, to embarrass them. And there are a lot of press officers, it has to be said, you know, there are a lot of good press officers in the Premier League. Of course, there are. Of good Absolutely. To work with. I could reel them off right now. Sadly, there are some who are quite inexperienced at their job and 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 don't do it very well. Um, it, not in, Premier, in, in football. It you know in in our space, and they think that they have to act as gatekeepers for grown men, and. I think it's right that we have this conversation because when you listen to somebody like James Madison, and I know the guys at Leicester are fantastic at allowing people to speak, and then you hear James Madison speak so well, speak so maturely, touch so many points of reference that people can identify with. Mm. You see the value of allowing a grown man to speak. The idea that you could prevent adults, grown men, from being honest at a time when all of us need to hear from footballers, you know, not just about what goes on the pitch, but off it, it's ludicrous. And I, I think it's absolutely right that we have a grown up debate about it because there are too many people getting away with some things that are, are not good enough. We need to be hearing from footballers, particularly now. It's a free press and a lot, you know, the, the access that is granted to, to, uh, to the newspapers, radio and TV shouldn't be a privilege they want the media coverage when it suits them because that's how they make their their millions and millions of pounds. But they, they, you know, scrutiny is not a bad thing. No, absolutely. On the subject of interviews, by the way, who, uh, who have you got plug. to speak to this week? Uh, Wayne Rooney is joining us on Darren Bent's boot room on Sunday night, Ooh. so um, he's guaranteed to be honest. Can Whoa. I just say, you see, know? now that's a good one, isn't it? See, there'll be no press officer leaning over his shoulder. Absolutely. Oh, and, and when when you listened to Laura 
talking to Declan Rice brilliant. the other day. Again, Absolutely that's brilliant. example of a, you know, she was fantastic in, in the questions that she and uh, Jamie O'Hara and, and Ali McCoy's they were asking. And, you know, Declan was mature and honest and open about his answers. And the sky didn't fall in. You know, he talked about the fact, yes, we are targeting the Champions League. Wonderful honesty, wonderful optimism, really good energy in that interview. It wasn't the end of the world. Mm. And there are too many press officers who believe that it will be if footballers are honest. Uh, we should really go back to the football. Anybody got any players from Crystal Palace or Fulham in their dream teams? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, I have. I've got, no. Jo- I've got Josh Madger now. I've got jo- I've, I signed him in the draft. Putting Adam Oda-Lookman in because they've got a double game week, haven't they, uh, Fulham? And it's a massive week for them. Um, we, we're going to come on to, to Newcastle and Southampton now, I think, are looking over their shoulders. This is a game that could alter the entire landscape of the relegation shakeup. If Fulham win this game, suddenly Newcastle, Southampton, Brighton, maybe even Burnley are all casting anxious glances over their shoulder. This is massive. This is the biggest game of the season for me in terms of who goes down. I totally agree. I, I, listen, we said this last week, we had this conversation and we've been saying for a while that we believe Fulham could stay up even when they look dead and buried. And I think if Fulham can win this game, well, I said last week that I believe that Fulham would stay up rather than Newcastle. They Newcastle can get one or two wins, but they're inconsistent. They can't defend. Losing Callum Wilson is a hammer blow for them. They've got a febrile fan base who are unhappy already. The players, to me, seem to be a little bit fragile in the face of the criticism they're getting off the pitch. Fulham, all day long, I think Fulham can do it. That said, I watched a game on Monday night where uh, Crystal Palace were dominated to within an inch of their life, were hardly allowed to move out of their own half, uh, did very little. In fact, I don't even, I can't even think that they had any other than two shots on target in the entire game. They just happened to score with them. It was a crime against football that Crystal Palace got three points from that game with Brighton on Monday night. But it was because Brighton didn't finish any of their, I think it was 187 chances that they created, um, that they, they ended up not getting any points from it. And, and Fulham in a similar vein, really, they don't score yeah. too many goals. And that, that might be a little bit of trouble, especially with uh, the new striker at Crystal Palace, who, who scored what was probably a contender for goal of the season with his balletic finish. Oh, it was fantastic. And I, I did uh, I did nick the choice of word balletic from your tweet and, and use that on the air. I thought it summed it up perfectly. But not only did Palace only have two shots on target, they only had two touches <laughs> in the Brighton penalty area. It's a crime. In the entire game. It's a crime. I've it's never not fair. seen anything like it, but... They should be deducted I, points for that. It's not right, is it? <laughs> well, Roy will say it's a perfect away game plan. We soaked up the pressure and we hit them on the sucker punch. Two brilliant goals. I mean, you, you've mentioned the first one, but Benteke's finish as well yeah. was very un-Christian Benteke-like, certainly not the Benteke that we've seen in the last uh, three or four seasons. So, yeah, it could be a similar story. I think Fulham will dominate possession. They've struggled for goals. I mean, you've, you've mentioned Madger. I'm still not convinced that He's necessarily the answer to their problems. Lookman is a very good player, but he's still a bit wasteful in front of goal. Ruben Loftus-Cheek should score a lot more goals. He, he gets yeah. himself into some brilliant positions, but can't finish. If, the, if they're wasteful like Brighton were, then Crystal Palace do have the capability to beat them. And, and despite what I've said about the relegation battle, I still think Fulham will go down. Right, OK, let's move on to this week's Roulette Rivalry. 
don't know what the chirps are all about, to be honest with you. I pressed the wrong button. I supposed to press the harp. There it is. Ah, there, there she is. It's Lucy. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm good, Tar. Oh, good. What's been going on? Well, actually, me and me and Ted have had a bit of a set to. Oh, the this is the dog. Yeah. Okay. Why? Well, what's happened? The evidence. I've got it on me. <gasps> evidence of you and the dog having a set. To- oh, he's broken your glasses. Oh, it- well, he's not just broken them. He's crikey. Them. That looks like a bullet hole wound in the in in your left lens. I mean, were you wearing them at the time? That, is it? Of course, I wasn't wearing them at the time. You've got to ask these questions. But these were £169, so I am oh. accepting any donations. Oh, 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 oh. We just bought you a dog. Any donations are welcome because um, I have currently had to wear my contacts. Okay. Oh, dear. That is bad news. Uh, I've got you a present, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've got you a little roulette wheel. So, uh, you know, you'll be able to mix it up properly. Yeah. Probably could have thought about 10 more things I'd preferred, but that's okay. Okay. <laughs> Only 10. Right, should we crack on? Yes, let's do it. Right, okay. So this is Roulette for everyone to watch. If you don't know what it's about, uh, the guys are going to have 45 seconds to talk about a player from one of the upcoming games. And this week, we're going to talk about Sheffield United v Liverpool. So I'm going to start with you, Sam. Ooh. Should we, should we, should we, should we, should we? Oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah, sorry, sorry. I'll do that, you do that. Yeah. I'm going to give you Ozan Kabak. So you just stop that thing. You sure it's Ozan just, Kabak? Just, just, so I'm going to have to reset my bloody timer now. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Tell me when to start. Ready? Go. Ozan Kabak is a player, um, in the words of Darren Lewis. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he was brought in at the end of the January transfer window. It was a, a panic buy, really, to stiffen up Liverpool's defence because of the injuries that they've had. I think he's been under unfair pressure being thrust in to the limelight at a time when Liverpool is struggling in midfield and, and other parts of the park. They've got no fit central defenders. They've got no fit backup centre midfield players who have been playing at centre-half. So a lot has rested on his shoulders. He was hesitant in the last two games that I saw him play. In fact, I've seen three of the matches that he's played so far. He's had to switch from right centre-half to left centre-half because Jordan Henderson got injured. He he doesn't look sure of himself, but what would you expect? He was playing for the worst defence in Germany. But he's still young and he will be okay going forward, I think. I think he's highly thought of. Is that okay? They're obviously speechless. There's no reaction. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go with you, Darren. Oh, what are you going to get? The roulette well is spinning, Darren. Who could it possibly be? Does it stop now? Am I all right? Hold on. Oh, there it is. Oh, that's an interesting one. It is an interesting one, because I'm going to give you Sadio Mane. Go. <laughs> I feel a lot of sympathy for Sadio Mane, actually because uh, lots of people are saying that he has not reached the heights of last season. And if you recall, last season, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, 22 goals in 47 appearances. And he was one of the most prolific players in, in the Premier League. This time around, he had COVID at the start, well, around about October, early October, he had to self-isolate. Since then, he's only scored four times in the Premier League. And people don't think about these things. They've got no sympathy whatsoever for Liverpool. But as well as obviously the injuries that they've had, it's quite obvious that he's been suffering the effects of 
something. Now, I'm not saying absolutely. This, that went on for a very long time. I wonder when you were, you were going to talk about the fact that uh, you felt sympathy for him because he's fallen out with Mo Salah. Um, <laughs> no. d- ditched by his Actually, mate. Have they, you... have, they, have they unfriended one another yet? They haven't unfriended one another, but clearly um, he doesn't like Salah and Salah doesn't like him. And I'm waiting for the interview that one of them does, either with... A Teddy uh, sharing a Mandy Cole interview. Yes, yes, where they say, no, he didn't respect me as a footballer or as a man. I have no time for him. This is made up quotes, by the way, folks. Please don't write them out and and attribute them to either one of the two players. You know, I I forgot we were still on it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what's next for Crook? Here we go. No, 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 no. Don't edit it out. Keep it going. Who, who, Who could possibly... Crook get in order to keep this going longer. Mo Salah. Oh, brilliant. Here we go. Well, the one thing we know about Mo Salah is that he's a very close friend of Sadio Mane. They have a fantastic relationship um, on and off the pitch. Uh, Do you know what's interesting about Mo Salah going into this weekend uh, is obviously the injury with Jordan Henderson because we know that Salah got the raving hump when he wasn't awarded the captaincy when Van Dijk was injured. It was... um, Trent. Yeah, it was given to to Trent Alexander-Arnold. Will Jurgen Klopp make his peace with Salah and give him the captaincy? I doubt it. And I can understand why, because I think he is selfish. Um, Trevor Sinclair described him as such on the podcast the weekend. And that's the main crux of the issue between him and Sadio Mane. Salah isn't a team player. He's obsessed by his own numbers, and that's why he's probably going to win the Golden Boot. This is a very, very fast 45 seconds. Is it 45 seconds or 30 seconds? 45 seconds, you're saying it's fast, I'm saying it's slow. We can't bloody win here. Did I say it was slow? I just said he... Yes. uh, Yeah, Darren just made it feel slow. (laughs) Final two games of the week are West Bromwich Albion against Brighton and Tottenham against Burnley. Also, there's reports today that Mikel Antonio, by the way, that uh, he's going to switch allegiance from England to Jamaica so that he can play in the 2022 World Cup. I, I kind of think that's a good idea for him because... He um, obviously, when Sam Allardyce was in charge, caught, got called up, didn't he? And they were thinking about using him, and they didn't use him. And I don't think he's really going to get back into the England squad. So I think he shouldn't be denied the opportunity to play at a World Cup if he if he more can. Football, more footballers should do it. I think a lot of them want to take advantage initially of the commercial advantages of being an England footballer, but then very quickly realise that there is far too much competition for places, and they eventually end up going to play for. Other countries, Wilfred Zaha, like the with, with the Ivory Coast, and as you say, uh, Antonio, and I think there are other players who, who have done the same. And I think just like young players are going abroad to other countries to play regular fast first team football rather than sit on benches in the Premier League, other players will do the same in international terms. Those with dual nationality, uh, like Jamal Masiala, uh, obviously have a bit more choice, don't they? And uh, I think England will be very disappointed about losing him because obviously he played a lot of football in the Chelsea Academy. But he is German, really, isn't he? I mean, I know he played a lot for England at the underage groups. I mean, 16s, 17s, 18s, 21s. But he is really, he's German. He was born in Germany. Not only that, how many players do England want? We can't pick, we can't decide who's going to play number 10 as it is for England at the moment. We've got fantastic options in the, the for our front six. 
every time a player of any kind of promise emerges, we all we want him to, and he, and we are disappointed. Why are we disappointed? Let the boy go and play football for for Germany. And, uh, you yeah. know, okay, they're not short of options either. To be fair, but you know, we can't have it both ways. Okay, Crook, you were about to say that you have a soft spot for Jamaica. I do um, going back to the '98 World Cup. Um, oh, the I reggae was... boys. Yeah, exactly. I was 16 then and actually used to go and watch uh, Portsmouth on a regular basis. And half that Jamaica team uh, came out of Portsmouth. Paul Hall, Fitzroy Simpson, Dion Burton. I, rem- I remember mm. them getting battered by Argentina. But it was just great to see these players that I was watching week in, week out play against Port Vale and Stoke suddenly taking on Gabriel hey. Batistuta. Hey, you know who played for the reggae boys, don't you? Frank Sinclair. Oh, the legend did. that is. Yes, I remember him my favourite player as a kid. bad against Battis Shooter in that game. Leave him alone. Give over. Frank Sinclair, actually, he, he, obviously I've worked with him quite a bit in latter years. Uh, he always freaks out when I tell him that when I was a kid, I had a number 20 shirt with Sinclair on the back. He thinks I'm taking the mickey every time I tell him that. Um, let's go to Tottenham against Burnley. Two o'clock Sunday live. Spurs... I think probably be favourites to win this after their midweek win over Wolfsburger. But I mean, those two games over Wolfsburger, do they really count? I mean, I, mean, I wouldn't want to be married to Jose Mourinho because you play so many mind games. You wouldn't know where you stood, would you? I mean, one minute Deli Alley's not good enough. Next minute he's fantastic. One minute he's, you know, we're in a terrible moment, but the next minute he's going to make history or something. It, it's so hard to sort of follow his train of thought. I mean, that's on purpose because he wants you to talk about what he's saying rather than watch his team because his team aren't very good. You're right. And and he, he's been... It, there's a pattern with Jose Mourinho. Uh, when he takes over a club, he's always very charming, isn't he? And and, and probably players and, and even supporters think, oh, maybe we've got this guy wrong from what we've seen at other clubs. But it doesn't take very long, and particularly in this case at Tottenham, for him to revert to type, to chuck players under the bus, to be snarling, to defend his own record. What was it? He said that nobody in the world is a, a, a better coach than me after that game. Um, last weekend um, <laughs> to which Pep Guardiola and Carlo Ancelotti both put their hands up <laughs> but he, listen he's box office isn't he there's no question about that and, and I've seen a lot of noise on social media this week about the fact that Tottenham basically appointed Jose because they thought he'd be a, a bigger draw uh, for that documentary that the Maurizio Pochettino and, and there could well be something in that because he actually it, it became the Jose documentary. It wasn't about Tottenham. It was about the man himself. And again, even that documentary, there were moments where you thought, actually, he's a good guy. And also, weren't they like, filming that documentary for three months before he turned up? And then well, you wouldn't in know the it. first episode, <laughs> he's there. So it's almost like Amazon went, oh, God, uh, uh, Daniel, not being funny. This guy's really dull. Is there any chance we get somebody else in? We need a, we, we need a new leading man. Even that documentary came across as a nice guy. I think he is fundamentally a nice guy. He has certain go-to tactics to get the best out of his players. They haven't really worked this season. But it's interesting, Gareth Bale, and we mentioned it at the weekend, he he was exceptional in the second half against West Ham. But what I think he needs now is the trust of his manager. He needs minutes on the pitch to see if he can get back to being the Gareth Bale that we know and love. I think as far as Bale and and Ali are concerned, it's not really that difficult. They just need regular first-team football. They've been champing at the bit for a long time to get that. Everybody believed they would do at the start of the season. You would say now uh, that given that front six, the options available to Jose Mourinho, it should be exciting. They've got no option but to try and shoot their way out of trouble because they cannot defend to save their lives. Two clean sheets in 12 matches, Darren, of which one of them came against that team from the village in the Austrian Alps. 
Exactly, exactly. I'm sorry, but when you look at the confidence coursing through the veins of Gareth Bale and the performance of Allianz, you know, people are listening to this saying, hang on a minute, Wolfsberger, we could play against Wolfsberger and win, and they'd be absolutely right. But the fact is that Ali and Bell are ready to run for their lives. Let them off the leash. If you look at the four games, the last two games, actually, that Bale has played in, made one, scored one, and made another in the game against West Ham as well. And then he scored in this game too. Uh, listen, you've got to play them. That's what you brought them for. That's what you're paying them for let them off the leash and just have a shootout and and see where you go because you can't continue trying to play the safety first way that you did to try and legislate for the inability to defend and drop points on such a regular basis. Um, They've had troubles with Burnley in the past. They don't want them this weekend. Uh, Three o'clock on Saturday, Adrian Durham will be based here for game day live as we go round the grounds as part of game day. West Bromwich Albion, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be relegated. Brighton might be relegated, Alex, if they don't find a, a cutting edge and find it quickly. Yeah, it's becoming a bit embarrassing now, um, to be honest. Brighton continually dominating games, outclassing the opposition, creating chances and not winning. Adam Alana came off the bench in midweek, missed two absolute sitters, but he wasn't alone. Graham Potter must, in one way, be tearing his hair out because I'm not sure there's much more that he can do as a coach the, the mistakes that are being made both defensively and in front of goal are playing errors. You know, he's setting his team up the right way. They're playing good football. They're, they're in every match. They're the better team in, in most matches. So people point to Potter and say, look, he's no better than Chris Uton. The, the football is much better. There's no question about that. But the points don't back that up. But I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the man in the dugout. I think there's a very good manager there. Probably a manager who's too good for the group of players that he has at his disposal. Um, that is an issue, isn't it? You know, the the, the fact that, that they play better football, they're tidier to watch, but ultimately the accusation has been that Graham Potter has tried to be too clever by half. Is that an accusation that you can, you, you can sort of back up or is it the fact that actually he just hasn't got the resources? Well, he did have the resources in, in a few games and he didn't use them. Um, was it Arsenal that he didn't play any strikers? Or he, yeah, he yeah, he, yeah. He has made some strange team selections um, over the course of the season, but I think the majority of the defeats are not his fault. I really don't. Uh, I so don't who who do you blame for them? I think the players. The players not being clinical enough, um, possibly being too nice, not ruthless enough. Um, I think also there is a, a belief in the club, the sort of we'll be all right mentality, and maybe that's come across to the players as well because they're not all right. If Fulham win their game on Saturday, they are right in the mix and they need to start winning games because, again, there's always one team who, who sleepwalk into trouble. And at the moment, the two are my patch, Brighton and Southampton, both look very vulnerable to that. Cliche. Southampton can't go down. They've got 30 points, so they'd have to lose every single game between now and the end of the season in order to go down. I mean, it's unlikely that that will happen. I mean, it's probably about a 2% one win in 13. chance. Yeah, but yeah, but even two wins now from to to the end of the season, or even one win to the end of the season, probably may well be enough to keep them in the league. You know, the goal difference at Southampton would worry me, but if you look at Brighton's goal difference, it's only minus six. You know, they've got the same goal difference as, as Wolverhampton Wanderers. They they always they, lose by the odd goal. They should be twelve or thirteenth, really. Brighton, if you look at their expected goal stats, they're not they're nowhere near as bad. But they are defying statistics by being as low as they are. You know. You've got to say that Newcastle, whose fans, as you mentioned earlier, are still in open revolt, 
are the more likely to drop. But as you say, if they if they sort of believe, oh yeah, we'll be all right, that it could be a recipe for disaster. I do hope that doesn't happen to them though. Because Damn, very quickly, they're, they're, they're better to have in the Premier League than not. I think there's some teams that come into the Premier League play a, a more sort of sto- stoic style of football. Which let's be completely clear, we'd we'd, we'd rather watch Brighton. Oh, I, I do agree with that. Brighton do play good stuff, but we're seeing time and again teams that play good stuff go down. Yeah, but you can't. Because, you don't want to have a go at them for ambition, Darren, do you? No, I don't. I absolutely, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I've been for a long time of the view that there are some players or some clubs who aspire to better, and people say they should stay in their lane, which is very unfair. You know, yeah, every yeah. club should have the right to aspire to better things. What I'm saying though that. To, to be able to do that, they've got to build a better defensive platform and they don't have that. And they can't be complacent. Fulham are four points behind them. They're three points behind Newcastle. There are 13 games left to play. Either of those two teams could be caught and could go down. We shall see. Big games on game day this week, live on TalkSport, including Newcastle against Wolves on Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Uh, we've got Manchester City, West Ham kicking us off at 12.30 on game day. Leeds against Aston Villa as well. And on Sunday, Leicester against Arsenal. That's it from us. Thanks to Darren Lewis. Thank you. And to Alex Crook. Pleasure. We are back with Matt Holland on Monday morning, looking back on another mammoth weekend and ahead to a huge midweek card of fixtures. Plus, we'll be assessing which players gave us hints on who was going to be in their starting 11s by dropping them in their fantasy dream teams. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 